Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. So these are the stories we learned as children. I'm sure that if I let you, you could probably tell the story that we're going to tell today. It's one of our childhood favorites. It may be one of the ones that you continue to repeat to your grandchildren. Inside of these uh, tales that we are so familiar with, there are morals that are taught, but there are also spiritual truths that are taught that we sometimes miss. So I want you to listen carefully as we try to unwrap the spiritual truth that is inside of this tale. So here we go. Once upon a time, like I've told you, every good fairy tale starts that way. Once upon a time, there was a little girl named Goldilocks. She went for a walk in the forest, and pretty soon she came upon a house. She knocked, and when no one answered, she walked right in. At the table in the kitchen, there were three bowls of porridge. Somebody, I don't even know what porridge is, but it sounds an awful like like uh, an awful lot like grits, so it doesn't sound that appetizing to me. But anyway, uh, Goldilocks was hungry. She tasted the porridge from the first bowl. This porridge is too hot, she exclaimed, and so she tasted the porridge from the second bowl. This porridge is too cold, she said, so she tasted the last bowl of porridge, and ah, oh, this porridge is just right, she said happily, and she ate it all up. After she'd eaten the three bears' breakfast, she decided she was feeling a little tired, so she walked into the living room where, there, where she saw three chairs. Goldilocks sat in the first chair to rest. This chair is too big, she exclaimed. So she sat in the second chair. This, uh, this chair is too big too, she whined. So she went to the last and smallest chair and tried it, and she said, oh, this chair is just right, she sighed. But just as she settled down into the chair to rest, it broke into pieces. Goldilocks was very tired by this time, so she went upstairs to the bedroom. She lay down in the first bed, but it was too hard. Then she lay in the second bed, but it was too soft. Then she lay down in the third bed, and it was just right. So Goldilocks fell asleep. As she was sleeping, the three bears came home. Someone's been eating my porridge, growled Papa Bear. Someone's been eating my porridge, said Mama Bear. Someone's been eating my porridge, and they ate it all up, cried the baby bear. Someone's been sitting in my chair, growled the Papa Bear. Someone's been sitting in my chair, said the Mama Bear. Someone's been, been sitting in my chair, and they broken it to pieces, cried the baby bear. They decided to look around some more, and when they got upstairs to the bedroom, Papa Bear growled, someone's been sleeping in my bed. Someone's been sleeping in my bed too, said Mama Bear. Someone's been sleeping in my bed and she's still there, exclaimed the baby bear. Just then, Goldilocks woke up and when she saw the three bears, she screamed, help! And she jumped up and ran out of the room and Goldilocks ran down the stairs, opened the door and ran away into the forest. She never returned to the home of the three bears. That is the nice version. There are a couple other versions. <laughs> In one of the versions, uh, Goldilocks becomes a treat for the bears, and they eat her all up. And another version, this one's the really gruesome one. I won't even give you all the details. I will just tell you that like this. They torture her, uh, and, and then they kill her. So, so anyway, so anyway, we like the clean, nice version, so it's a, it's a good Sunday morning. We would like that one. I want you to notice a couple things. Um, I can relate to Goldilocks. You can't, okay, not, okay, let me explain. 
I can relate to Goldilocks. When I was growing up, um, my hair was not platinum. It's not gray. It's platinum. People pay big bucks for this. This is platinum. When, when I was go growing up, my hair was blonde, very blonde, and I happened to have a mullet, which, you know, to be cool, I mean, some of y'all will never really be cool in life because you've never had a mullet. You have to have a mullet. And so I had this mullet, and I had uh, curls. They they were not natural to begin with, but over time, after perm, after perm, after perm, okay, so, so they became natural. So, so people used to call at times when they were trying to give me a hard time, they would call me Goldilocks so I could relate. But there are other reasons I can relate. I, I noticed something about this account that I want you to notice. Uh, uh, I hate to admit this. This is like pastor on the counselor's couch today. Goldilocks was just a little bit picky. Okay, so... Um, so, see, some of y'all don't know. Uh, she struggled to be satisfied uh, with the porridge that she came into contact with. I, I don't, do I need to even mention that it was stolen porridge? That, that's beside the point. She was just picky. She couldn't settle on porridge. She couldn't uh, be satisfied with the chairs. She struggled to uh, be satisfied with the bed that she was selecting. And in the process of this constant dissatisfaction, she takes all of the wee bears or the baby bears porridge, she breaks his chair, and she occupies his bed. Okay, just all of that, since I can relate to, to how she, how picky she is. Would you just kind of file that away just at the back edge of your mind just for a few moments as we go into Scripture and I bring you to the parallel account of Goldilocks in Scripture. I know you don't think Goldilocks is in the Scripture, but I'm going to prove you wrong because I need you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and let me bring you into Goldilocks Old Testament style. Are you ready? Here we are. 1 Samuel chapter 8 beginning of verse 4. Finally, the leaders of Israel met in Rome to discuss the, this matter with Samuel. They told him that since his retirement, things hadn't been the same, for his sons were not good men. Okay, so let me stop right there just a moment, just so I can catch you up on the background. Uh, God had instituted a form of government where he used judges, prophets, to rule over Israel. Samuel was one of the best ones. You will remember he anointed the first king, Saul, uh, later on, and all this other stuff. He's just a powerful man of God. But the problem was he was getting old, and, and so he was going to retire, and he put his sons in his place. They weren't quite like dad. And so that's what's happening. So the, these guys come to, uh, to, to Samuel and they say, you retired. You put your sons in charge. He, he, they're doing a terrible job. Um, you know, this is horrible. You got to fix it. And so this is their solution. This is what they say. Give us a king like all the other nations have, they pleaded. Samuel was terribly upset and went to the Lord for advice. Do as they say, replied the Lord, for I'm the one they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Important statement. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they've continually forsaken me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but warn them about what it will be like to have a king. So Samuel told the people what the Lord had said. If you insist on having a king, listen to this, he will conscript your sons and make them run before his chariots. Some will be made to lead his troops into battle, while others will be slave laborers. They will be forced to plow in the royal fields, and they will harvest his crops without pay and make his weapons, weapons and chariot equipment. He will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. 
why a guy wants perfumes, I don't know, but anyway. He will, make, he will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his friends. He will take a tenth of your harvest and distribute it to his favorites. He will demand your slaves and the finest of your youth and will use your animals for his personal gain. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. You shall shed bitter tears because of this king you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. But the people refuse to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, listen to that, even so. Come on now, even so. Even so, we still want a king, they said. For we want to be like the Joneses. If your last name is Jones, please forgive me. I'm not picking on you. Um, we want to be like everybody else around us. We want to be like the other nations around us. He will govern us and lead us to battle. So Samuel told the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied again, then do as they say and give them a king. So Samuel agreed and sent the men home again. Wait a minute, you, 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 don't think you, you, don't, you don't think you can find uh, Goldilocks in Scripture? I just read to you right out of the Bible, right out of the Old Testament. I just shared with you the story of Goldilocks. I, I, I did because I want you to know how it compares. Uh, here, I, I need you to think about this for just a moment. Here's Israel. Israel has God. You missed it. Israel has God. The king of the universe, the unrivaled one, the undefeated one, the all-sufficient one. They have God as their king. This is the one, the, the, their king is the one who sent the plagues that convinced Pharaoh to allow them to escape from 400 years of slavery. He, he has the ability, the authority, the power to, with the word of his mouth to send frogs and locusts and flies and, and, and cause fleas to come in and cause rivers to turn to blood. He has the ability to part the, the Red Sea when my enemies are chasing me. He has all this power that with one simple word, seas and rivers part before him. And not only do they part before him, they collapse on your enemies behind you and drown them. They have the one who can rain down bread out of heaven. They have the one who can cause quail to fly in when I need a meat snack. They have the one who can turn bitter water into fresh water. They have, oh, come on now, they have the one who will cause the sun to stand still so that their victory can be made complete. They have the one who can rain hailstones down on their enemies so that they don't even have to fight. They have the one who can bring you into lands flowing with milk and honey, promised lands, better than anybody else's land. That's their king. That's who they have as their king. That's who's in charge. That's who's ruling. That's who's reigning. That's their king. And yet, and yet, their response is this. This porridge is too hot. And this chair is too big. And, and this, this bed is too hard. Well, they didn't actually say it like that. But, but what they said was this. We want to be like everybody else. We don't want God as our king. We want a man as our king. So here we go. The shared trait between Goldilocks and what I just read to you out of the Old Testament is identical. The shared trait is this, the lack of contentment. 
Goldilocks just couldn't seem to be, be, be content, and in the process, she tears the house up. Israel could not seem to be content, and, and in spite of, listen to this carefully, in spite of the vividly described and graphically detailed explanation of the destruction that would be the result of their decision, the Israelites proceed with being discontent, with being different, and with trusting a trustworthy God. And against these backdrops of discontentment, may I teach you some lessons. I want to tell you this morning that the lack of contentment will break everything around you. Go back to the account. Goldilocks uh, uh, could have probably experienced a good relationship with the bears. I, I, I mean, it's fairy tale land, so people can be friends with bears. Uh, so let's read into the story a little bit. It could have been potentially a productive relationship, a place for her to go when she goes into the forest, new friends, new relationships. It could have been uh, 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 productive, maybe. Uh, uh, she, she destroys that relationship. She destroys the chair. She ruffles the bed. She messes the entire house up and in Israel's case it will cost them slave labor it will cost them their crops it will cost them their animals it will cost them to serve the king's pleasure it will cost them taxes it will cost them tears it will cost them terror it will cost them and yet in both instances the lack of contentment causes brokenness all around them and what I came to say is and ask you is how many of us are going from chair to chair and how many of us are going from meal to meal? And how many of us are going from house to house? And how many of us are going from bed to bed? And how many of us are going from friend to friend? And how many of us are going from drink to drink? And how many of us are moving from lobby, from hobby to hobby? And how many of us are moving from church to church? And how many of us are moving from possession to possession? All because we cannot seem to be content. It isn't that we don't have enough. It isn't that the house doesn't shelter us. It isn't that the car doesn't transport us. It isn't that the friends don't support us. It isn't that the church doesn't feed us. It isn't that the job doesn't provide for us. It isn't any of that. It's simply this. There is an extreme lack of contentment in our lives. We risk everything for more. Our enemy then is not possessions but excess. You, you missed it. Our, our enemy is not possessions. It is excess. Uh, our cry is no longer nothing, but now we begin to cry enough. We, 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 we can no longer say that we have nothing. In the early days of the church, the believers would say this, silver and gold have I none. But now we can no longer say that. We don't say we have nothing. Our cry has become we don't have enough. Uh, the, uh, um, uh, a historian, I, I won't try to, I won't try to uh, say his name, it's Schlesinger, I knew I'd mess it up. He's a historian, he observes this about our society. It's not just in the church, it's, a, it's because of our society. We've allowed it to bleed over into our lives, but it's because of our society, and we've just accepted it. He says this, he says, our society is marked by inextinguishable dis discontent. Our quest is for better and what is next. We want a better job with better pay and a better boss. We want better relationships and a better car and a better backhand in tennis or a longer drive in golf. And we have a propensity to live endlessly for the next thing, the next weekend, the next vacation 
vacation, the next purchase, and the next experience. We are never satisfied, never content, and envious of those who have what we have not attained or accumulated. And the issue with that is simply this, that discontent causes brokenness brokenness in most of us and it's not that we have nothing we we create brokenness around us and in us, in us simply because we don't think we have enough we don't think we have enough what are you breaking in your pursuit for more what is it that you're allowing in your life to become just totally broken into shambles because of your need for more? Maybe it's breaking your body. Maybe it's you're breaking your mind, your spouse, your kids. And so what we do is we come into church and we sing songs like the one we've been singing recently that, that I kind of like. Uh, I like the bridge in particular. Uh, we call it Jira. And we, so we begin to talk and sing that he's more than enough. He's more than enough. He's more than enough. But then we keep Keep looking for more of everything once we get out of church. Everything else, we need more of everything else. I need more of everything else. And I come to church and I sing, you're more than enough. And then I live my life as if you're not. Right? And so then the result is brokenness. Because we can't seem to get enough. So, so, so... Brokenness through stress, brokenness through anxiety, dissatisfaction, and the, am I the only one? I always feel like something's missing, right? And it, it leads to buyer's remorse. I thought this would answer all the needs of my life, and, and instead I go and buy this thing that I couldn't even afford to begin with, and now I get it home, and all of a sudden I got buyer's remorse because I recognize it didn't really satisfy me, and I'm still wanting more. Anybody else? Just, just Steve. Okay. And then it also produces, if you don't think it produces brokenness, hasn't it produced this throwaway society, this discard society? We throw stuff away before it's ever even been used, right? And, 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 and so brokenness. Listen, I need you to understand, we will never be obsessed with what God has for us if we are obsessed with what God has for everybody else. I might just need to say that one more time. We will never be obsessed with what God has for us if you're constantly being obsessed by what God has for everybody else. Too many of us have an appetite for everybody else's life rather than an appetite for our own life. And this obsession causes brokenness all around us. We break everything. It breaks our peace. It breaks our relationships that could be healthy. And, and, and those relationships could have been more than beneficial and yet we we were broken in the peace of our mind and we're constantly pursuing something more okay I must just be preaching to me so 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 am I telling you then to just accept things the way they are is that what I'm telling you no I'm asking you to accept them accept things the way he wants them you missed it I, you're saying, Steve, I, you, I should just be satisfied and just accept the way it is. I, I, you know, it's just always going to be like, I just got to accept it. No, I'm asking you to come to this place in your spiritual maturity where you begin to accept the things the way he wants them. That, some of y'all, that means that he might want you at the job that you're presently at. He might want you to continue to drive. Oh, see, this man... Uh, this is, I'm, ooh, wow. I mean, I, yeah, I'm right. I must be in an American church because we don't like this stuff right here. 
You mean I got to keep driving it and it doesn't have all the bells and whistles? I know it's only got like 5,000 miles on it, and I know if I upgrade right now, it's going to cost me nine times more. But, man, you just don't know. It's got more, like it's got another plug for a USB cord. You don't know? You don't know? Like it'll help me park. Like you didn't learn to park in driver's ed when you were 14 years ago, 55 years ago. Discontent causes brokenness. The lack of contentment does something else. It causes us to lack compassion. I want you to notice that Goldilocks didn't really care that she was eating or using up all the resources of the others. She really didn't care that she was destroying their property. She didn't care that she was trespassing. Israel didn't really care that they were losing their distinction. They didn't really care that they were no longer going to have enough to bless others. They really didn't care. Listen to the, the, the ugliness of that passage. That's the only way. I, the, the unbelievable ugliness of that passage is this. God has just told you through Samuel that if you do this, your children are going to be in bondage and they're going to be defeated and they're going to be taxed and they're going to be slaves and they're going, the king is going to use you for his own pleasure and they don't care. They don't care. They insist Give me a king, even though it's going to result in all that. Even though their children are going to pay a heavy price for their desire to conform, make me like everybody else, they don't care. They were only concerned with their own wants and their own desires. When we lack contentment, it is inevitable. We will also lack compassion. If you're always consumed by I don't have enough, then you will never be able to respond to someone who doesn't have enough. Our, our mind, our attention, our heart becomes so consumed with what we want and what we think we need that we become completely and fully self-centered and we cannot be compassionate towards anybody else when our only concern is our own need. You will never be able to help anybody else if you always think, I don't have enough to help anybody else. And the reason that some of us never respond to the people around us, and by George, there, I don't even know where that come from. Uh, uh, where, there are people around us that are in need, that, that we are surrounded. Our world, everywhere I go, everywhere I look, in every church service, in every parking lot, in every store, in every restaurant, at every ball game, at every bank, at every street corner, what I keep running into are people in need. We are surrounded by people in need. And the problem is, is that most of us will never respond. We're never moved. It never breaks our heart. We go home to our nice houses, drive our reliable cars, wear our new clothes, our sufficient clothes. We eat healthy, full meals more than we need to eat. I'm preaching right now. And, and, and we never stop to think that maybe we have enough. 
so we don't help. We say, what are we supposed to do then? That's just our society. We're Americans. What do you expect? We can't. I mean, this is the way we're indoctrinated. I don't just need tennis shoes when I'm five. I need Jordans when I'm five because it's all about the shoes. I need a $500 pair of shoes when I'm five years old because my classmates have $500 shoes. So as Americans, what are we supposed to do? I mean, I got a house and like it's just two of us now. Everybody else has moved out, got empty nest. It's like 2,800 square feet. I only use the living room, the kitchen, the bathroom, and one bedroom. But boy, I need a bigger house. I need a bigger, I need to be in Gallardia. I'm telling you right now, I've got to be in Gallardia. I need y'all to tithe some more because I need a private jet. I need me, a, I need me, I'm a, like I need a new car. My car's got 126,000 miles. And I'm going to upgrade here pretty soon, by the way, just so you don't think I'm preaching to me. Um, I, I am going to upgrade, but, but, but really what I need y'all to do is I need y'all to give because y'all, have y'all seen the McLaren? I saw a picture of McLaren the other day. Y'all don't know. How much is the McLaren towel? Brand new? Two, Three hundred thousand. I need three hundred thousand dollars because I got to get from my house to the church a couple times a week, and that's like ten miles. So I probably need a McLaren so I can get here in point two seconds. I need. I need y'all to come on now. Do you do you see the craziness? We're dissatisfied, discontent, trying to impress people we don't even like. Don't even like. I mean, my neighbor, I got brand new neighbors, y'all. They just moved in. They moved in and they pulled in a brand new Range Rover and a brand spanking new Jaguar. And all of a sudden I wanted, I felt like, man, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not, what am I doing wrong, man? I need to duck my head. Maybe I'm not as successful as them. Maybe I need to go, like, I need to go hawk everything I own and go $900,000 in debt so I can, what are their names? I don't even know their names. So what do we do? What do we do to fix this? Because that's how we've been trained. We go through Dave Ramsey, learn the principles, and go right back to living beyond our means. I guarantee if I ask, okay, do not raise your hand. I guarantee if I ask you right now, if you live from paycheck to paycheck, you spend more than you make, if I asked you if you had credit card debt that you're not sure how you're going to pay, go ahead and don't. Raise your hand right now. And I guarantee you 90, okay, I was being nice. 99% of you will raise your hand. How do we fix that? Do we just sign you all up for Dave Ramsey and hope? No, we go back to God's word. Because what we must do is this. We must learn to be content. I I need you to understand this. You aren't just content. You learn to be content. You train yourself. Listen, this is a key point right here. It's not in your bulletin. It's not in your notes, but you might want to write this down. You have to, how do you become content? You learn, you teach yourself to be thankful. Paul gives us some instructions, and then I'm going to get out of your way because y'all are uncomfortable. I'm not even preaching about money, and y'all are uncomfortable. That's November. <clears throat> Paul gives us some instructions regarding contentment, and what I want you to see is he shows us that there's a connection between being content and real joy. 
You know the passage, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. We're going to read down through verse 7, then we're going to uh, skip to verse 11 through 13. Always be, listen to this, always, I just want us to dissect this, then I have an assignment for you today. Uh, Listen to what he says. Always be full of joy. Always be full of joy. In the Lord, I say it again, rejoice. We used to sing a song, never mind. Um, let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all you do. There's that compassion element. So how do we get how do we get to be full of joy and how do we become considerate in all that we do? Don't worry about anything. In other words, don't go from bowl to bowl, chair to chair, bed to bed. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. If you do this. You listen, here it is. You will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Did you catch it? If we learn to be content, then it automatically leads to joy and peace. The reason some of you are never satisfied and you have no joy and you have no peace is because you have not taught yourself to be content. Pastor, can we have a special prayer today at church? I need you to pray that I'll have peace. Well, then be content. Pastor, could you help me? I need you to pray for me that I would be full of joy. Okay, then be thankful. If you would become thankful for what God's already given you, Uh, Okay, Uh, I got to go. Y'all about to kill me. Uh, 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 So then Paul continues to go on and he says this. He says, not that I was ever in need. Here it is. For I have learned. Everybody say learned. Learned. But you don't know. You don't understand, Steve. I graduated a long time ago. You still got to learn. I have learned how to get along happily, whatever I have, whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Y'all missing this. This is some good stuff right here. I have learned how to live on almost nothing or with everything. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with what God has already given me is because I learned to live on nothing. When I graduated, oh, y'all don't want to know my, my story. When I graduated from college, I went to this huge church in this huge town, and I worked, and I made $900,000. No, I didn't. I moved to McCall, South Carolina, where there's about 1,200 people, and I worked full-time, full-time for $6,800 a year. I bet you were dissatisfied. No, I thought I was in high cotton, bro. I'm telling you right now, I thought God had hung me, put me in the, because it was my first job, and man... I have learned. He goes on and he says this. I have learned. Everybody say learned. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want, for I can do everything. See, we want to use this passage right here and talk about all the stuff we can do in Christ Jesus because I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthened me, right? That's our favorite passage. We love, I, I I can cure sickness. I can lay hands on people. I can cast out demons. But Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me after, he says, learn to be content. 
So maybe we ought to apply that passage of Scripture to what he wants us to apply it to. Maybe he knew that Americans were going to come along who didn't think they could be satisfied with less than four Lamborghinis in their garage, even though they don't have a driver's license. Maybe he knew. And so he says, if you want to do all things, apply the power of God to your ability to be content. Contentment is learned. It is not natural. Uh, we, we're not born with it. It's not a gift. So here, let me close with this. And, I, and, and I, I gotta, you got to get this. We have to learn the lesson that restriction is protection. Oh, that's good. We've got to learn that when God steps into our situation and he restricts things from us, it is protection. It's not punishment. The reason that God has not allowed you to go get that 9,000 square foot house, just you and your little self, is because he recognizes that it will bankrupt you and it will stress you and it'll keep you from being able to sleep at night. The reason that God hasn't opened up the door at another place of employment is simply because, first of all, he puts you there as a missionary and second he knows that at the new place that you so desperately want to go the boss would drive you crazy the reason that he hasn't allowed you to leave your spouse to find another spouse is because he recognized that you would drag all that baggage that is consuming your life into the new relationship and it would only be about geography and you'd get into the new relationship and destroy that one too because restriction is protection It's real good. I'm just, I'm not, I, I, see, I, I'm just not telling, I'm not telling you not to be hungry. I'm just trying to convince you not to be greedy. Because, see, what I've discovered is that most of us, I, can I just, can't boil past you being mean today. Can I just tell you in this house right now, I love y'all. I, lo I love y'all. I love y'all. If y'all don't show up next Sunday, I'm going to be really disappointed because next Sunday's message is going to be, ooh, okay. So, so, but, 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 can I tell you, most of us in this room are really, really greedy. We have enough. If God never did anything else for you, he's done enough. If God never gave you anything else, he's given you enough. We have enough. We're greedy. So we've got to learn to rest in what he has provided. We must learn to be content. All right, here's your assignment. Here's your assignment. Get a pen. Get a pen. Get a pen. Well, let's come to, let's come to the altar and we'll pray. Okay, yeah, but we got to learn. Y'all want to come down here and pray and hope that Jesus is going to turn the magic button on on your life and all of a sudden I'm not going to want everything I used to want. Only problem is, is you, most of us have 40 to 50 years of training in an American society that has trained us to be extremely greedy. That's why on TV they play all these commercials trying to convince us to buy something new that we have plenty of. I, no, just me and you, babe. We're just going to have to go home by ourselves. Nobody else wants to spend time with us. I, I helped move some folks out of a house that used to be here. It was a, a bad situation. They were struggling. Okay, I'm, they're not here anymore, so I'm not talking bad about it. I'm just telling you the truth. The, only as an example. I went and helped to clean their house out. And they had medical supplies. They were struggling to pay their doctor bills. And I walk into the house. And it is full, literally full of medical supplies. I mean, the church helped you. We like paid some of your bills so you could get to. They just kept buying new stuff. Same stuff they already had. 
threw it all away. Learn. Why do we do that? We've learned that that's how we're supposed to live. And Paul is saying, listen, you got to come to this place in your own spiritual walk, in your own walk, where you're more Christian than you are American. And you recognize that I can be content. If God desires to bless me and gives me more than I need, I'll be content in that and I'll be compassionate with others about that. But if he doesn't and I have to struggle a little bit, I'll be content in that too because I know he's more than enough. And he, if he takes care of the lilies and if he clothes the flowers and he takes care of the sparrows, and he, then I don't have to worry. All I got to do is go to my God and say, let me let you know what my need is. Not my want, my need. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he provides for me and I don't go, well, thank you. Jesus, now I need more. There we go. I've got enough. Okay, 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 okay. It's okay. You got your paper? You got your pen? Find a piece of paper. That's how old school I am. I see Drew got his iPad. Need a new iPad, Drew? We probably need to go upgrade. All right, so uh, <laughs> I just got a new phone this week. I'm preaching to me. All right, my phone wasn't working now. Come on now. Let's be honest. My phone wasn't working like it was. Okay, all right. Um, got your paper? This is what, we're not going to take long. I want you to do this in just like major categories. All right? I want you to write in major categories, just three or four, maybe five, what God has provided for you. Major categories. I mean, I can do my major categories. Family, job, home, car, Hunting. That's a major category, by the way. Whatever you, have you got them? Four or five. Got it? Hold it for just one second. Father, I pray that in this moment right now, that a, a spirit of gratitude would invade what are normally very greedy people, American Christians. I pray that we would be overtaken by a spirit of gratitude. We are thankful. We want peace and joy. I pray that our gratitude for what you've done would be the off-ramp for peace and joy. It would be what causes peace and joy to be produced in our life right now. I pray that you would make us grateful. Father, I know that some of the folks that wrote some things down, like they may have wrote, written the house down and in the back of their mind going, I don't like my house and I need a bigger house. But Father, if, if it keeps them warm in the cold and cool in the hot and keeps the rain off their heads and keeps them off the street corners as one of the many homeless in our society, I pray that in this moment you would make us thankful. God, some of us wrote car down and we know we're having car problems and our car's not quite as reliable as we wished it would be. But if it gets us from point A to B and it provides the transportation to get us back and forth to work and in an emergency we could jump in it and get to the hospital, then even though it may not be flashy and even though it may not grumble and even though it may not have the best sound system and even though the air conditioning may not be quite as cold as we want it to be, I pray that in this moment, in this moment, we would be full of thankfulness. 
God, some of us wrote job down and we wish we could find a new job that paid more money or maybe a better environment. And I get that and I pray that you would open doors that no man can shut and close no doors that no man can open. But in this moment, I pray that if the job pays our bills and if it puts food on our table and if it gives us a place to testify of the goodness and the faithfulness of God, then I pray in the name of Jesus right now, you would fill our heart with thanksgiving. Let us learn to be content. Content, content. Okay, here's the second part. Here's the second part. Here's the second part. Next to your categories, I want you to put a dash. Put a dash or three dots. What's that thing called? Ellipsis, yeah. See, I keep him around because he's smart. Ellipsis. Put the three dots. You know, that means continuation, right? Continuation, three dots, something else coming after it. Y'all didn't know y'all came to English class today, did you? Three dots means something. Would you write, it's enough? <laughs> I see some of you like making yourself. Because right, it's enough. I don't like my car, but it's enough. I don't like my job, but it's enough. I don't like my house, it's enough. What are you doing? I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm training myself. I got to learn that it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. It's enough. If God never does anything else, it's enough. I'm training myself to view my situation in a different light against a different, here it is, standard. My standard is not established by my society. My standard is established by my Savior. So if my Savior says that what I've given you is more than enough, then would somebody please stand up for just a moment and just declare, it's enough, God. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my clothes. I'm thankful for my job. I don't like my job, but I'm thankful for it. I wish I had a different car, but I'm thankful for the car that I got. I, I don't like my current situation, but it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. It's enough. Come on, tell him. It's enough, Jesus. You're our provider. You're enough, Lord. You're enough. You're enough. Teach us to be content so that we will not destroy everything around us. Teach us to be content so that we will also be filled with compassion. May we begin to view your restrictions as your protection. And Father, we will say at the end of the day, whether I'm hungry or full, whether I'm poor or I'm rich, whether I have too much or not enough, whether I'm warm or I'm cold, whether I'm healthy or I'm sick, whether I feel blessed or not, I will declare that I am content with everything you have done in my life because you are good. Teach us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, it's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.